Welcome, everybody. Great to see you today at Cuyahoga Valley Church. Welcome to all of you. If you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here, and we hope that your morning is just encouraging and that you feel like you're part of the family. For those of you watching online today, we're grateful that you're tuning in. We hope that uh, you feel encouraged as well. Well, hey, back in June, I had an amazing opportunity, uh, one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, uh, to see the Bible up close and personal. I went to Israel with Liberty University for about 10, 11 days and just got to walk amongst uh, the Holy Land. It was one of the most amazing experiences. I highly recommend putting that at the top of your bucket list for things. Uh, No other experience will teach you about the Bible and bring the reality of God and the history of the Bible uh, to life like a trip to Israel. And uh, coming back, of course, one of the most common questions was, you know, what, what was one of your favorite places? What was one of your favorite places? And, and have you ever visited one of those places where there was just so many things you loved about it, you couldn't isolate one thing? I was like, ah, I don't have a favorite. There's just a bunch of favorites, you know? And one of those places that was a favorite place is known as the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Beatitudes. And uh, it was just a really incredible experience because where, where if you look at the map, you know, to find where the mountain Beatitudes is, uh, you look at Israel, it's in the northern part in the Sea of Galilee region. And when you go to the Sea of Galilee, it's on the north coast up there uh, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And when you get to the mountain Beatitudes, what it looks like, this is a little aerial shot of that area, you get to uh, see over this huge vista. And you're up on this mountain, and you're looking over the Sea of Galilee. And you're like, this is, this is where it went down. This is where Jesus was walking and calling the disciples. And he, was, he walked on this water, and you know, he calmed the storm here. And he you know, did his teaching and miracles. And like, this, is, this was like you know, central, the central hub. And, and you're looking down on the, on, the, on the city of Capernaum going, like, that was home base. And it's just this incredible experience. And uh, this is the modern view of the Mount of Beatitudes. So there's a church, you know, we got to put a church in all the special spots, right? So there's a, the Church of the Beatitudes is there with a the monastery. And groups just flock to this place coming up on the hill because it's just a majestic uh, picture. In fact, the, the wall graphics we have for our series are photos of what it looks like from the Mount of Beatitudes looking out. It's just a brilliant place. And the reason this place is so special is because this is where Jesus gave his very first recorded sermon. And he went up on this hill and he sat down. And we don't know how big the crowds were. It could have been hundreds. It could have been thousands of people that just gathered around him and they listened to Jesus give his very first sermon. And it was that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably pretty clear why it was called Sermon on the Mount, right? I probably don't need to unpack that much because he was on a mount. And so the crowd's around him and he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a, a beautiful place, beautiful moment. And you can read through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 here in a little bit. And the first part, as Jesus is kicking off this first sermon with all these people, the very first part of the sermon is a component we call the Beatitudes. And we call it that because Jesus is talking about these attributes. He starts off, I mean, this is his very first message, speaking with authority to this crowd, and he starts off with these words so we can all understand they have great significance. This is important to Jesus. And as we go through the Beatitudes over the next nine weeks, we'll see how each one is so um, precise in how it hits our heart and how needed uh, we are to, to hear it. And so we're going to be looking at these things called the Beatitudes. And what he says about the Beatitudes, and it comes from, by the way, the, the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word Beatitudo, which means blessedness. Because Jesus said that when you have these attitudes, if you will, you'll be blessed. 
Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that when you open up your Bible and you see the word bless or blessed or, you know, uh, all those kinds of things, they have different meanings depending on the original language, the word in the original language at the time. And so I want to review those that we did a few weeks ago. But when you see the word bless or blessing, it usually means one of these four things, depending on the word in the original language. Either giving or bestowing of a material possession, um, your friend blessed you with a car type of a thing. Uh, giving God praise, you know, blessed to be the name of the Lord. Uh, third, asking of God's favor on another. We did that a few weeks ago. We had a time of prayer in our church. We just say, hey, if you want to just a prayer of blessing, we're going to ask God's favor upon you. Um, come up here. And we had a prayer of blessing. Um, and then the fourth one, which is the one we're really focusing on and the one Jesus meant when we talked about this, is to be favored, to be happy or fortunate. And it's especially tied to one who looks to and obeys God. And so really, this is like the pursuit of happiness. You will experience this type of happiness, this type of favor in your life if you're exercising these attitudes. It's really what uh, we're seeing here. Now, Let's just get this on the table really fast. The world's ideas, the world's principles of pursuing happiness and God's principles for pursuing happiness are drastically different, aren't they? And this is really going to come into picture today as we look at the first beatitude. And so keep that in mind as we really unpack these verses today. Now, what I want us to understand, and this is really important because we're, we're people of performance, Right? From our very first grade uh, school experience, we're getting smiley faces and stickers, and we don't like the red ink on the paper, and you know we're graded all the time. So it's very easy for us to turn the Beatitudes into a checklist of things that we must do. That's not what we're trying to capture here. The Beatitudes are characteristics, they're qualities, they're traits that come from a follower of Christ. When you get into a relationship with God and God changes you from the inside out, these things start to come from you, so really it's who you become. You start to be a person with these traits. That's why we're calling this series Be, because this is someone we're to be. This isn't a list of things we're supposed to do. It's supposed to come naturally. And so that's really the, the heartbeat of this. That's what a beloved child of God does. They become these type of people. Now, with that as a backdrop, I want us to turn to uh, these Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. So open up your Bibles to Matthew 5 or uh, open up your Bible applications on your devices. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free as a gift. So on your way out, stop by the Information Center and get a free Bible if you don't have one. But we're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, looking at these Beatitudes that kick off the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to invite you to do something with me as we read through the Beatitudes. And here's what I'd like you to do. Whenever we come to one of the Beatitudes, I'm going to ask you just to say that Beatitude with me, all right? Just say it out loud. Just ring it off the, we're going to ring it off the walls here. So here we go. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Good job. That sounds great. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We'll find out what meek means. It's a pretty cool word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. God, as we gather around the unfolded words in front of us, God, let our minds take us to that moment where Jesus was on a hill speaking to hundreds, if not thousands of people with authority, with with fresh understanding that was new and insightful to a people so hungry to learn how to draw close to you. And God, as we interact with the Beatitudes over the next couple months, as we interact with this one particular Beatitude of being poor in spirit today, God, would you illuminate our hearts and our minds and bring understanding. God, help us to slay our pride. God, help us to lower our defenses. Help us to hunger for you in such a powerful way. And God, help us hunger for others to know you. God, increase in us, stir in us a burden for those who don't know you and that they can learn these things too, God, how to walk with you and experience you in a powerful way, to experience new life in Christ. So Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher today as we walk through your word? In Jesus' name we all say, amen. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at each of the Beatitudes one at a time. And today we're looking at being poor in spirit. Look at Matthew 5, 3 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit even mean? You know, it's like, what what does that really mean? I think in a word, humility. In a word, humility. But we have to put the layers of the spiritual understanding into uh, the mix. So when we're talking about being poor in spirit, what we're really talking about is poverty of spirit. Can you say poverty of spirit? Poverty of spirit. That's huge. I'm saying that because I want that to sink in a little bit. It's awareness of our spiritual bankruptcy. It's realizing that there is nothing worthy in and of ourselves to make us deserving of God's love and grace. He gives his love and grace because of who he is, not because of who we are. He loves us. And let me get that really He loves you because of who he is. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He just loves you. It's just who he is. It's what he does. And being poor in spirit is when we have this uh, awareness of our inadequacy, we have this awareness of our inability to get to God on our own effort, to get to God with our own um, works. And so when you really think about being poor in spirit, I mean, thinking like a a bank account, it basically means we've got nothing in the bank. We, We are absolutely spiritually bankrupt. This is the classic argument, is man born inherently good or is man born inherently evil? And there's still people... Um, you know, divided over that. I'm like, let's not be divided. It's very clear. We're born evil. It just doesn't show up until later. I mean, think about it. We've talked about this. You never have to teach a kid how to be bad. They just know how. It just happens. We're, we're born with the sin nature. Our soul's corrupted by the sin that happened in the beginning with Adam and Eve. And ever since then, we're born spiritually bankrupt. You are born spiritually like you are born physically. When you are born physically, you've got no money in the bank, you know? But what happens is we realize that God has an unlimited amount that he just gives us. Why? Not because we deserve it. 
just because he wants to give it. And so poor in spirit means spiritual poverty. We are spiritually bankrupt. I love how the Apostle Paul understands this and expresses this in Romans 7, 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Can anybody echo that? You ever had those moments where like, I know what to do, I just can't seem to do it. And you even had moments of wrestling where you're going, I, I know I shouldn't do this, and then you do it. Or, or I know I should do this, and I don't. Like that's just the human experience. And so it's like, you, you kind of need to just loosen up for a second and sit here and go, I feel that all the time. You know what? So does the person next to you. And the person three rows behind you, and the person up there, and the person over there, and the person up here. We all experience that. That's, that's our spiritual poverty at work. We're just, you open up your spiritual bank account and there's a big fat zero. But God says, I can give you all you need. Spiritual poverty realizes there's nothing in me, but there's everything in Christ. There's everything in God and he's made it available and he's made it accessible if we'll come to a place of being poor in spirit. And this is so critical. You know, Jesus wasn't random in how he taught these beatitudes. He didn't just say, okay, I got all these people on the hill. Um, let's see, uh, blessed are the, uh, I don't know, poor in spirit. That's a good one. We'll start that. Like this was intentional. The, the poor in spirit, the humility piece, he's laying the foundation. He's saying, if you don't get this one down, you can't do the others. We can't even talk about you mourning. We can't even talk about you being a, a peacemaker yet because you've got to learn what it means to be poor in spirit. We've got to start there. And so that's a complete understanding. Now, uh, one of the things I recommend, this is, this is good to practice as you're studying the Bible. Uh, you'll see how when we're going through the Beatitudes, it's especially good. If you really want to understand what's being said, as you read something in Scripture, stop, pause, and construct the opposite concept to give you greater understanding of what you're seeing and reading. So let's think about this for a second. If blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means wretched are the proud in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of hell. You're like, oh, that kind of puts it in perspective. I think about that. Like, if, if you think, well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What's the opposite of poor in spirit? What's the opposite of humility? It's pride. So I'd be proud in spirit. So if, if, if a person who's poor in spirit is blessed and, and happy and, and experiencing that, then, man, wretched, like miserable, miserable is the proud in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of hell. It means they don't have a relationship with God. It means that they're not connecting with the Lord. And it means that at this point in time, if they never let the Lord into their life, they're destined for an eternity away from God in a place of torment. That helps put things in perspective pretty clear. We're going to pray and close now. <laughs> now, we just continue to see this humility is reinforced over and over and over again by God. You know, a couple verses that, that speak to that. We, a lot of us know about Psalm 51, 17. It says, the sacrifices of God and what we bring to God, what we offer God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. It's that brokenness, it's that contriteness that, that is the doorway to experiencing God. In Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah the prophet says, for thus says the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is what God says. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, 
to revive the spirit of the lowly and to receive the heart of the contrite. See, we must experience our spiritual brokenness before we can experience spiritual blessedness. You've got to see yourself broken before you get repaired and restored. This is saying, I, I have to see myself as empty before I'm filled. There has to be a conviction before there's a conversion. There has to be an acknowledgement of a sickness before there's a pursuit of healing. And so being poor in spirit is us realizing I'm coming to God. I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing to bring, but he is offering me everything. He's offering me everything. I love how Pastor Rick, our founding pastor, put this. He, he, he did a quote here. He says, when you admit that you are poor in your spirit, then God will be pleased to pour in his spirit. See, we have to shift. If, if you're sitting here today and you are not experiencing a vibrant, thriving, intimate, powerful relationship with God. It could be because you're not trying to be poor in spirit, but instead you're trying to be proud in spirit and you don't even know it. Because we live in a world that's so self-focused. I mean, we have to shift from being uh, self-confident and self-reliant and self-sufficient to being contrite, to being God-dependent, God-confident, God-reliant. We don't place our soul's health and our soul's eternity in the hands of self. We don't put it in the faith of self. We can't do it. We, we put our soul's health, we put our soul's eternal destination in the hands of God. And so we have to constantly fight day by day, minute by minute, to fight for that relationship with God and to slay our pride. I kind of drew it up here so, so that we could maybe understand it a little bit differently. Um, if, if, uh, sorry, it's kind of a leaky pin here on the first time, but um, the, the proud in spirit, if, if, you're a, if you're a person who's proud in spirit, then you've got this wall of pride that stands between you and this gift that God has to offer, the gift of a relationship with you, the gift of eternal life. Like God offers this to you, but if you've got a wall of pride, you can't see that. You can't see God correctly. You can't access him. You can't get to him because you're allowing your pride to be a barrier for yourself. It's not a barrier for God. Trust me, God can get through your pride to do whatever he wants in your life. But God's also a gentleman. He'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you what you need. And then he'll let you navigate your life based on what you choose to do in that moment. You can't see God's eternal life. You can't see that relationship. You can't access it, and you don't understand it. It's just a big question mark. Like, I don't understand God. And some of that's that, it's that proud spirit. But once we choose to be poor in spirit, and the barrier of that pride is removed, you can see God. You can see that relationship. You can see his eternal life. You can access it, and you understand it. Like, like think about, you know, hopefully most of you, in here, I don't think everyone, because realistically that's not the case, but, but hopefully uh, most of you here, when you came to that moment, when you gave your life to Christ, that's what happened to you, did it not? You, you saw how God made access to himself through the, through the cross. You understood that God loved you. You understood that, that your sin and your pride was a barrier, but that God took that, that barrier and nailed it to the cross with Jesus. 
And when Jesus died and rose, it removed it. But, but you can see him. You can see that gift there. You can access it now because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you understand it. You don't understand everything because then he wouldn't be God, right? We still have to fight that. I want to know everything about God. And God's going, good luck. <laughs> You're not going to know that. Later you might, but not right now. And so this, this is trying to choose to be poor in spirit. Well, we're not, we're not letting that pride interact. You know, Jesus told a story that really helped illustrate this understanding. And it's the story of two men. And some of you are familiar with it. You can turn in your Bibles in there if you want. It's going to be on the screen. But it's found in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus is really tackling the issue of those who are proud in their spirit and are trusting in themselves to have a relationship with God. They're trusting in themselves and their religious works to be right with God. And in Luke 18, verse 9 through 13, he says, he tells this parable, this story, to some who, check this out, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Like, okay, we're already off base now, you know? And they treated others with contempt. Don't you know that's how it works? That once you see yourself better than others, once you see yourself as a better Christian, you see yourself as a more religious person, you just empowered yourself to think less of other people. Yet, weren't you just one of them a second ago? <laughs> you know? And so this is what he's addressing, this, this mindset of a Pharisee, a, a religious, uh, pompous, self-righteous mindset. And he says, there were two men that went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Remember, tax collectors were just the scum of the social scene because they ripped people off and they, they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't the popular ones. They probably still aren't that popular, but... Uh, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. Listen to the Pharisee prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Well, aren't you high and mighty? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He calls out the tax collector, points him out. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He, who is he trusting in? Himself. I, I did this. I did that. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. But... The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who was poor in spirit? Tax collector. Who was proud in spirit? Pharisee. Now, here, here's the scary thing. You and I can become a Pharisee like that. It's amazing how all of a sudden we get close to God, we start to experience God, and we start to distance ourselves from the rest, and we start to think of ourselves better, like, well, I'm sorry, I'm, and I'm glad I'm not like that person, I'm glad I'm not like that person. And You know, one of the biggest lies, one of the biggest misconceptions for people, still operating on this one, a lot of people, um, and how to get right with God, how to get to heaven, is I just need to be, let's see if you can fill in the blank, a good person. But you, you can't. There's no such thing as a good person. There's only bad people that can do good things. Because we're bankrupt. This, this is spiritual poverty. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know about that, well, guess what? There's that wall. There's that wall. Because if you're sitting here and you're trusting in going to church, you're trusting in your good behavior, you're trusting in your good works, you're trusting, you're, you're trusting in your religious pedigree, what church you've been to, and what church your family's been to, and you're trusting in all those things to be right with God, and you're trusting in those things to go to heaven, 
Is there any God in the mix when you're so busy trusting in what you are doing? Is that in any way different than the Pharisee going, I do this and I do this and I do this? And you start to back up and go, wait a second. That is exactly like the Pharisee mindset that says, I bring something. In fact, God should be glad he has me. Versus the mindset over here of spiritual poverty going, I've got nothing to bring. Everything I have is in Christ. And some of you might be kind of twisted up right now going, wait a second, but I have this love for God. Where'd you get that? Well, I, I, I really, um, I have these gifts and skills and abilities. I'm giving them, I'm using them. I'm like, where'd you get those? Like anything that we have to give was given to us. It's like the child that looks around the room and goes, look at all my stuff. It's all mine. And the parent goes, yeah, but you got all that stuff from someone else. That was from Christmas from grandma. (laughs) We bought you that. In fact, everything you have was given to you. You didn't actually earn any of it. And we just gave it to you because we wanted to. We love you. And you're in our family. That's the Lord. That's the Lord doing that in our life. And so the spiritual poverty is is such a huge understanding. I love how a modern voice, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He's an old Protestant minister, preacher. He said this. He said, nothing shows me the absolute need of the new birth and of the Holy Spirit and his work within so much as the Sermon on the Mount. These beatitudes crush me to the ground. They show me my utter helplessness. Were it not for the new birth, I am undone. Like, are we getting this? Like, are we getting this? Like, we need to be people who are poor in spirit. Now, if you're sitting here today, if you're watching online, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, what does that mean for you? Hopefully what it means is that in this moment, in the last, you know, 25 minutes or so, a light bulb has gone off for you. And you realize that your sin and you realize your pride has produced a barrier between you and God. And maybe for the first time in your life, it's become clear that that's the barrier. The good news that we want to make sure you understand is that God has removed that barrier if you let him through the death and the life of Jesus Christ. And through his work on the cross where he died for our sins and his resurrection from the grave, He defeated sin. He defeated death so that we can be in that relationship, so that we can see the gift of eternal life. We can see the relationship. We can access it, and we can understand. So if you don't know Christ, to be poor in spirit is to come to this moment and go, God, for the first time in my life, I realize I have nothing to offer you. And to be quite honest, that should be very refreshing to you. You don't have to work your way to God. He doesn't have a report card with a list of behaviors and and good works that you have to check off. He's just got a relationship he's offering you, and he's saying, do you want it? Will you let me love you? Will you let me forgive you? Will you enter into a relationship with me? And all you got to do is say, yes. I did a wedding yesterday. I love standing before a man and a woman who look at each other, and they say these vows of commitment. Will you take him? Yes. Will you take her? Yes. And God's going, I came down a person and I died on the cross and I rose from the grave so that you can have a relationship with me. 
will you take me? And all you got to do is say yes. He's already said yes to you. You just wait for you to respond. And that's you today. All you got to do is say yes. I'll help you out in a minute on that. For those of us who are already followers of Christ, what does this mean for us? It means we have to continually be reminded that we're poor in spirit. Because if we're not careful, we'll drift into legalism and we'll drift into spiritual pride. And we'll start to feel better than the people. And you look at the headlines and you look at the lives of the people you work with and look at the lives of your neighbors and you start to separate yourself from them and go, well, I'm better than they are. No, you're not. No, I'm not. God's just doing a work in us and they just haven't figured that out yet. And so it's just a reminder for us of where we came from and a reminder that when are, when are we ever being done poor in spirit? When are, we, when are we done with that? Not until the last breath when this body leaves. We continue to realize our spiritual poverty and operate in gratitude for it. We don't have to walk around with our heads down shamefully like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm spiritually bankrupt. You know, It's not full of gratitude, full of joy that God loves us. And so I said, let that do two things for you as a believer. One, just fill you with gratitude and constant pursuit of being a person that's born in spirit. Second, let that fuel your prayer life for those you love who don't know Christ yet. You can pray for them this way. You can say, and fill in the name of that neighbor, that friend, that family member. God, would you open their eyes to help them see themselves as poor in spirit? Would you let them see their spiritual poverty so they would come to you? And so it fuels you and it fuels your prayer life for those who don't know the Lord. That's what we're going to do in our lives. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this time of worship by interacting a little bit with a very special, um, really ceremony that we do. It's called the Lord's Supper. And if you're not a follower of Christ yet, you don't need to worry about this right now. You know, you just need to worry about your relationship with Jesus. But for those of you who are followers of Christ, remember Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he took, he took bread, and he took wine, and he had this special meal with his disciples. And he was telling them about his death, and he was telling them about his resurrection. And he said, this is my body, and this is my blood. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's not a religious activity just to check off. It's, it's us remembering. It's like a living photo album that we flip through in our mind of what Jesus did for us. And we remember his death. And we, we kind of replay the scenes of the crucifixion and his, and, and his body you know, being pierced for our sins. And we just remember and we're full of gratitude that moment. And today I'm going to ask you to do this too. As you're remembering, would you also reflect and as you take the Lord's Supper today as a follower of Christ, would you almost make it as a proclamation? Lord, I am poor in spirit. Thank you for what you did for me. Man, I forget that. And so it's a chance to remember and it's a chance to reflect as we do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And then afterwards, Pastor Joe is going to lead us in a time through the Lord's Supper. And then after that, we're going to receive our offering. And then we're going to walk out of here, hopefully, feeling a little more reminded of how poor in spirit we are and able to act upon it in our prayer life and the way we walk through life. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this image of Jesus on a hill speaking about spiritual poverty. We can imagine that every heart in that crowd had to interact with this understanding of humility and a need to lower that wall of pride and not to be 
spiritually proud, but to come spiritually broke to receive. And God, that's never changed. It's true here today. So God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be reminded about our spiritual poverty. For those of us here, God, that are already believers, Lord, increase our humility, increase our dependency upon you. God, remind us how to pray for others who don't know you in such a way that it can bring poverty in spirit, Lord, break hearts. Help us to see ourselves as empty so that we can be filled, broken so we can be restored. And God, for anyone in this room here today that doesn't have that relationship with you, and if that's you here today, all you got to do is just tell God, I do. <laughs> you can just say, I'm broken. I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing to bring but my sin. And I believe, God, that you love me enough to die on the cross, to raise from the grave, so that you can shower your love upon me and I can experience you. New life and eternal life, forgiveness of sins. So right now I believe, Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you faithfully, poor in spirit, <laughs> forever. And God, as we get ready to take this time of remembering what you did, Lord, let it interact with our hearts and our minds and our souls in such a way that it's a worshipful, pleasing offering with a contrite heart offered to you. In Jesus' name we pray, we all said, Amen. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, if you prayed that prayer, if you need to do business with Jesus, a uh, couple of chances for you to respond. One, you can indicate that on your response card in your program that you received Christ. And we'd love to follow up with you and say, here's how you can grow. Our preference and our challenge is that you make a face-to-face -face connect. Come to the prayer cove, come out to the information area and just say, I, I prayed to receive Christ today. What's my next step to grow? And we'd love to tell you. Let us share that with you. Um, so don't leave here without connecting if that's the decision you made. For the rest of us, let's just go ahead and reflect and remember uh, during this time of worship. Amen?